Hello, and welcome to the Brazil Institute podcast. I'm your host, Nick Zimmerman. In this latest episode, we will discuss how the role of the Brazilian Congress is evolving, what to watch for in upcoming legislative elections this October, and how the composition of the next Brazilian Congress will shape the political and policy environment in the country in 2023. With me today to discuss these questions and much more is Richard Bach, Head of Political Analysis and Strategy for XP Investimentos, and a former advisor to a president and vice president of the Brazilian Lower Congressional Chamber. We hope you enjoy today's episode and join us again soon. Thanks so much for joining us today, Richard. It's really a pleasure. Um, it's a pleasure to me. Uh, I'm really excited to do this thing and uh, a little nervous as well because this is the first <laughs> time I'm, I'm doing something like this a podcast in the US. So this is a real pleasure doing this with you. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely, absolutely. We're super excited to have you. Uh, there is a lot of interest, um, you know, around all of the Brazilian elections, and and we're equally uh, jazzed to to have you and 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 kind of help us unpack a, a really complex political environment. But before we dig into the upcoming legislative elections and and the importance of the Brazilian Congress more more broadly in this delicate political moment in, in the country, I'd like to just hear a little bit more about, about you and, and your background. Um, how did you get involved in, in Brazilian politics in, in the first place? And, and what led you to work specifically in the Brazilian Congress for a number of years? And then also, why don't you tell us a little bit about the analytical work you're doing these days at, at XP Investimentos? Okay, um, uh, I'm living in politics uh, since I can remember. My first campaign was in 1996 in Brazil. Uh, it means I uh, was 10 years old at this time, you know. So after that, making this, this uh, uh, participating on the school organizations and all these movements we have for you people that likes politics in Brazil. Um, uh, in the community movements in Brazil, so community, all that stuff. So politics are in my life since I can remember. Uh, yeah, politics and, and soccer, football, those two things. And uh, yeah. Yeah, um, you started, started really young. <laughs> yes. You, it, uh, you know, um, a couple months ago, I was remembering something. Uh, suddenly, I, I just... Wow, I was ten years old. You know, I I don't have this conscience for a long time. I just realized, I don't know, a couple months ago. Yeah, so, it was yeah, a, it was a I was calling ten from years a young old. Age. Yeah, calling. For yeah. A young age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Another Richard, but yeah. yeah um, and so I was a media then in this student organizations in Brazil, and uh, after that, political parties, all that things, and the campaigns in Brazil. It is a, a, a because this is completely different uh, that I saw the, the same thing doing the same thing in Colombia or Chile or Argentina. Uh, we are we are in Brazil a different animal animal for much things, especially campaigning. You know, so and uh, this is a continental country. So you have, I'm from the south of Brazil. I did this in the north. I did this in the 
central west a bit this in main state so it's it's very rich uh, experience you know after that uh i went to brasilia in 2006 yeah 2006 to 2007 and uh, i started to work there with the politics um uh, and this led me to the congress uh in 2009 2010 I uh, started in the Congress uh, in the vice presidency and then presidency of the lower house. And after that, PT leadership for two years and the government leadership, uh, working as an advisor on the floor of the house. Um, and yeah, this Dilma situation, impeachment, all that things I could see from the inside. So this was very rich. And this experience, I think, is experience um, that I, I, I gained in Congress. Um, I don't know. I, I could I could offer this to the markets in Brazil, and uh, we started to do something different than the regular regular analysis we have in Brazil. Because at this time, 2015 was the year that I joined XP. Um, we started something inside the Congress, looking at the things. Uh, and I think this conversation, it, it has a lot of coming from this moment because Brazil in the first half of the last decade, it was being managed by the Congress uh, equally of the executive branch. We always have in Brazil an executive very strong and large and powerful. And uh, in the last decade, it changed a, a, in the beginning, a little, and then a lot after two months, especially. And uh, it went well for me, especially because uh, in, with my experience and my team experience, we are from the Congress. So uh, we can understand this thing from the inside, what's happening, what the outcome, the probable outcome of the, the measures and the decisions, what is triggering the decisions. Uh, because what triggers the congressman is really different you know, than what triggers a minister or a justice or some some other guy, you know. So when those guys they rose to the power and uh, this this balance of the power in Brazil shifted, we were in a very good spot to offer this thing to the markets to understand Congress how those guys think. Um, markets understood at this time really well. Central bank, finance, the the, the finance ministry. But and the executive, in a sense, zero Congress, zero uh, judiciary in Brazil. So it's not easy because this is the, the, uh, a very different way how to think about the same thing. So we are trying to close this gap every time we can. Richard, yeah, it's. Uh, it, I like to ask the question about uh, the professional backgrounds of the people that we. Uh, the people that we interview, uh, because I find everyone's trajectory fascinating, but I think it also grounds for our audience, uh, you know, your expertise. And it's pretty clear that we are talking to someone with uh, a vast amount of experience when it comes to Brazilian policy and politics and, and the Brazilian Congress in, in particular. So uh, I think we're just all the more excited um, to have you and to have this conversation in, in light of everything that that you've worked on throughout the years, both in uh, the private sector now and, and discussing the implications of Brazilian politics with, with the markets and uh, all your work uh, on the inside and in the Brazilian lower house. So 
unsurprisingly, most of the international attention on Brazil these days is not on the Brazilian Congress. It is on uh, the, the Brazilian presidential election, um, as is the case right, with, with most major elections. There's a, a tendency to kind of focus right at the, at the top. But the reality is that the rise in the importance and the autonomy influence of, of the Brazilian Congress is particularly over the last decade or so, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Um, this is something that should not be overlooked. It's, it's been a major factor, major uh, element uh, in the Brazilian uh, politic body for, for some time now. And so to start our conversation, I was hoping you could explain to us a little bit on how the Congress has evolved since the return uh, to democracy in the 1980s, right? What, what has been the ebb and, and flow? Uh, you know, for example, many people believe that the legislature currently, in this moment, is at its most powerful um, since the, the, the end of the dictatorship um, for many reasons, one of which is this uh, lack of transparency in the federal budgeting process and the power that Congress is exerting over the federal budgeting process uh, relative to, to the executive. Just last night, uh, to, to make clear the, the newsiness of the, of, of the topic, uh, presidential candidate Lula said in, in a major television interview that in his view, the current president, Jair Bolsonaro, is actually a hostage uh, of the Congress. So, so what's been going on? Uh, like, can you, can you break down what's been happening with the Congress, um, and why it's been taking on an increasing leadership role in the country? Yeah, we, in the, in the eighties, we had this, uh, important and strong Congress led by Ulysses Guimarães. He's a legend in Brazil. Um, so they made this new constitution afterwards the, 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 the dictatorship. So it wasn't easy to do. Um, but yeah, after that, I think uh, we've had this impeachment in the early 90s. But the Fernando Henrique Cardoso terms, the eight years after 1994, um, it organized institutionally the country and uh, the executive branch was strong. Um, the biggest power in Brazil, of course, the president concentrate a lot of power at this time. Congress had important leadership, uh, regional leadership or national leadership, but they weren't important as they are right now. Um, he dealt very well with the Congress. So he um, and they defeated him sometimes very hard in, in Congress. He got some, 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 some losses uh, in voting. But in important for F, it was in taxation that he lost 40 billions from one day to another, you know, for the federal budget, it was huge. So, but yeah, in general, he controlled and uh, this balance of power didn't change very much uh, under Lula, uh, uh, to be frankly. Um, I think that the Supreme Court uh, gained some terrain in this battle of the powers and this arrangement of the powers in Brazil. Um, it was a Supreme Court in this first decade of the 2000s. Um, yeah. Under Dilma Rousseff, uh, in the first term of her, and in the short 
term that she had in 2015, uh, Congress was stronger. We saw this uh, MDB for first, they initiate maybe this movement, leading um, what we call today Cedrão, uh, MDB was the head of this thing. They had Eduardo Cunha, they had a lot of strong politicians, Temer, Padilha, Eduardo Cunha, uh, uh, they, they, they were with the Speaker of the lower house, with the presidency of the Senate. So they were strong in Congress and uh, they started to, 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 I don't know, this, this, this path to the power. Um, what they did, first they controlled the political power. So they developed this controlling in the public machine, in the public debate, because the executive was very weak at the time. Dilma, she, she was confused. She was many problems, protests in the streets. Uh, it, it, was not, it was not organized enough. And she, and she to be, no, no, I don't want it to be offensive or something like this, disrespectful, but she lacked the political skills. She, she basically never were in good conversations with Congress or doing things or trying to understand the other powers. So she was isolated, isolated in a sense because of her. Of course, this political battle, I, I don't want to be naive, but she played an important role in this and uh, she can contributed in a sense to the Congress we have now. So uh, they had the political power, so they need to control the budget, which is the real power in Brazil. We have this budget very limited. You have a limited budget for investments, infrastructure, you name it. So this is the budget they control. Uh, they started small. Uh, controlling this uh, amendment, we call this small money that the congressman appoint in the federal budget to small things they have in the regions. Uh, a lot of pork barrel politics are made on this because it was discretionary, so the executive could pay or not. And then the congressman, they, they, was, they were always trying to be friends of the president or the ministers to have this many grants, you know. So executive was strong. Um, when they made this mandatory, after they made another steps and they made the state blocks amendments mandatory as well, well, they don't need the, the executive that much. So politics uh, should be made to grant the, 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 the interest of the, the, the executive branch being approved in Congress. So Temer did it, but Temer was a product of the Congress. So he was like a, a prime minister of Brazil. Not, president but a prime minister. He represented not a large group of the society, um, of course, interest from markets, from the economical sectors in Brazil he was representing, but from like, almost like a, a, a congressman being acting as president at this time. So he was representing the Congress. Congress saved him his neck twice from the federal prosecutor was uh, prosecuting him. So yeah, but Congress at this time, they were strong. After that, we saw Bolsonaro, President Bolsonaro, just not making politics. You know, this huge vacuum that he left, um, Congress occupied that. And uh, when they had power enough at this time, it was 2019, 2020, to advance to control the budget. So it is technically called RP9, or this secret budget, the same thing, basically. We, we saw before recess, some guys from the, the education ministry in Brazil going to Congress and ask the congressman money 
to buy school buses, you know. This is the level of the, the control they have. So I don't think they will be back to, 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 to what they had in the past. Power is not something you just give, you know. Power is a, a conqueror. Um, so yeah, we'll have this thing, Lula, the former president Lula, well, he, he was talking in this interview and uh, he called Bolsonaro hostage. I, I don't think hostage is, it is campaign, right? He's not hostage because he agreed with the situation. He could fight back, he could do something, but he agreed with that and he doesn't care that much. You never saw uh, Mr. Bolsonaro complaining about that. So this is a, a consensual hostage, if you can call like this. <laughs> so consensual, yeah. Um, and uh, but we have a big decision and a big battle of powers. Uh, it is scheduled for the next year because uh, the Supreme Court will have a say about this uh, secret budget. It is with Justice Rosa Weber. Um, she has to make a decision. You know, if she decides that the Congress they have no right to exercise this kind of power, um, and it has to be. Uh, uh, I don't going back to the executive again. So what's Congress going to do? They will they accept this peacefully, or they will try? Will they try vote new regulation and new new laws to get this control back? Um, if Lula is president, this is the main scenario. Of everyone I, I know in political analysis, Lula won't accept this peacefully as well. So we have this thing evolving in the next four years. And I, I don't think Congress will give any inch of the power they conquered um, in the last decade. But the last decade was key because um, this Eduardo Cunha and then Rodrigo Maia and now Artur Lira. Artur Lira is the most powerful of these three guys with the, the, this strong group. Um, and they will lean for Lula if Lula wins, but with this huge demands, not losing power, being making agreements with the, the new administration. If Bolsonaro wins, they will keep the control. They will try to appoint people to, to the government. So this is uh, how uh, uh, this game is being played in Brazil. And I think uh, I, I'm mocking with my guys here, but I, I used to say Congress is, they, they are already in, on February. They won the elections. They are waiting for the next president. They, this will be an agenda for the country in the next four years, I think, uh, agenda. Um, about how Congress will, will, will be in this balance of power in Brazil. I think they will be strong. It's a really important point uh, and, and really important context, this institutional history. And uh, for those of us who have been following Brazilian politics uh, for quite some time, I, I think it, it resonates how the leadership vacuum and, and really the political chaos that engulfed the country in the Rousseff Temer years, where you had an impeached president, you had a, a caretaker president of sorts who was very unpopular, how other powers in Brasilia took advantage uh, of that gap. And then when you have uh, a somewhat untraditional president coming in after that interim period, uh, Jair Bolsonaro in this case, with a complicated relationship with Congress, with other priorities, um, how you can suddenly see a pretty radical change in checks and balances, at least in the short term, uh, in a relatively short period of, of time. Um, and I also think that the overview you gave us really grounds 
why the congressional election in October is, is so important. One, no matter what the specific results are, there's a looming battle um, if the favorite candidate at this juncture in the presidential race wins, um, as you just articulated. Um, and also that there is a huge amount, budgetarily speaking, that will be defined not by the victor of the presidential election, but by the ultimate composition of, of this Congress. Um, so let's talk about the upcoming congressional elections. It's a very complex picture, I think for anyone, but particularly for individuals who aren't Brazilian. There are more than 30 political parties uh, in, in the country. Uh, it's a vast country with a variety of different regional cultural politics, much like a, a country that I'm familiar with, the United States. Um, I'm going to give you a couple of questions to respond to. I think the first one is, again, for the audience's sake, What's the basic breakdown of the political parties uh, and the, the dynamics in, in Congress? You've mentioned one, but I'd like you to, to touch on it as well, Ms. Valderovi, which is the Centrão, which is roughly translated the big center. It's sort of a group of ideologically amorphous parties in the proverbial center of the political spectrum that somehow always seem to retain a lot of power. Uh, no matter what the ideology of the executive branch is, they, they usually make coalitions with the government um, power. Let's walk through uh, all of the major players uh, of, of the parties. Um, and then there are a lot of races, but what are some of the key races out there um, in your view uh, for Congress? Uh, we, we talk a lot here in the United States about bellwether races, um, races in certain districts, that can kind of capture a broader national sentiment. Um, I'm curious if there are any races like that that you and your colleagues are, are, are watching. And then once we are di digesting the results, what are some of the things we should be looking at for us to start to get an early sense of what the coalition building possibilities will be for the next president? You talked in the past about how capable Lula was at, at building these coalitions. What would be some of the key factors in identifying whether or not he might be able to replicate some of that should he win? Um, and similarly for Bolsonaro, um, he's coming to this popular agreement with Congress to give them more discretionary authority over spending. Um, but that doesn't mean that uh, the results don't matter to him, right? Congress could be more compliant with his agenda or, or less. So how do you see the state of the congressional race? Uh, well, for February, uh, I mean, I say February because Congress uh, starts to work on February the 1st. So this is when they take office. So for February, I think it's a almost predetermined Congress because um, this is the highest historically. This Congress is the highest rate we have for, of congressmen running for re-election, you know. Um, in our history. So, yeah, many of them will of the Congress uh, will be very low. Um, 
the, the core of the Congress will be there, our two leaders will be there, um, the central leaders will be there, so they matter a lot. We can see some, because we'll transfer votes in the states for congressmen and senators, we can see the, the Lula coalition or the parties that are close to Lula, the center left wing in Congress, um, gaining some seats maybe 160 they have 130 right now so 30 seats more um i don't see pt replicating the best moment they had making 90 congressmen 92 congressmen i don't see that i think they are more like 70 70 congressmen uh but 160 160 is fine you need uh, we are uh 513 congressmen and uh 81 senators. The Senate is being uh, uh, renewing seats in one third. So this is not the whole Senate, but this is the whole lower house. Um, and yeah, um, I think I think uh, uh, if Lula has 116 Congress, um, this is my forecast right now. Um, yeah, about the states, uh, like like uh, you mentioned about the districts, I think, uh, yeah, uh, Arthur Lira has to be elected in his home state, but I think they are uh, in a comfortable situation. Those guys that already have uh, uh, congressional mandates because um, they have a lot of money to campaign. You know, they have this uh, uh, party funding, they have this campaign funding, those are public. They made this, uh, all the secret amendments, the regular amendments, they, all the, that the Bolsonaro administration gave to them. Bolsonaro was very, very, very uh, good for the big center of Brazil, the, the, the traditional politicians. It is uh, ironic because when he got elected, he promised to fight these guys, to finish these guys, but he was the one funding them much more than anyone in the past. So, yeah, in terms of um, regions, I don't think we have this hot battles in the regions. We'll see this for Senate, but doesn't change the, the, the whole picture, you know. Um, it is more entertaining than, than looking to, to, wow, this is a game changer. We we'll, won't see that in the regions. Congress will be strong as they were under the Temer in the last year, in 2018. So they basically were doing or not doing what they want. President will be weak in this case. And um, his chief of staff is a man from the Senate. He rules the PP party. So they will be very strong. I think Paulo Guedes, Minister Paulo Guedes, will be a hard time with those guys because he has this big ministry and uh, they will want some slices of that planning industry. They will demand some, some parts. So we'll see this battle developing in this year, next year. Um, and I think, but, but I think President Bolsonaro, if he gets elected, he will have this situation. Congress basically doing everything. We'll have to consider how judiciary will play in this situation because the judiciary will, will, will feel as well that they have some some political space to grow. So we are seeing right now if Bolsonaro doesn't change, if he does what he's doing right now, uh, the presidency will be the weaker power. The presidency, presidency itself will be the weaker power in this balance, this checks and balance we have uh, in our constitution. If Lula gets elected, uh, I don't think this is um, 
peaceful is not a word to use in this situation. I think it will be silly, um, but he can have this understanding. Um, but yeah, uh, I think uh, Lula can discuss and uh, sometimes impose an agenda for Congress because he will have this, at least it's this 90 days that all the country gives the, the, this piece for the new president and then he can organize some kind of agenda. Yeah, the honeymoon, perfect. Uh, he can organize some kind of agenda with the Congress, but this big question mark will be there. You know, this yeah. secret budget is a game changer for Congress. It, it can make the relationship good or bad. You know, if they feel that Lula is pushing or making some kind of influence in this uh, voting in the Supreme Court, so they can turn against Lula and uh, we can see Lula uh, not having a hard time in Congress. So, yeah, they can be with the president. I think they will be with the executive because they make money there. They make power there using the executive, but they can create problems and uh, I think the will they are independent enough to do it this time. Yeah. No, really interesting points. I mean, my big takeaways from what you said is, first of all, there's not as much renovation going on in the Congress this time around. You know, the rise of Bolsonaro in 2018 also kind of brought in a newer generation of of politicians, which was interesting. It's something that happened in a number of other countries during that, that period of time as well. So we've got more familiar actors writ large running. So we might see less change in the composition overall. I think that's a really important point. The other point that I heard from you that sounds is important is you're expecting right now, it's just a snapshot in time, the polls, but if things kind of hold, you're expecting, you know, roughly a, a 20, 25% improvement for the PT's coalition writ large, or likely from 130 to 160 or so. And that that's enough to put it into a constant negotiation with the big center, the Centrown numbers to, if not always, frequently be able to put legislation together. It might not be the type of legislation that the PT's core coalition um, would be most happy with, but it's not like government will necessarily break down become paralyzed along ideological lines if Lula has a healthy chunk of, of, of the legislature, but far from a majority. And in the case of Bolsonaro, should he win, um, then the composition of the Congress will probably look even more similar to what it is right now. And you'll see a, a relatively status quo dynamic of Congress exerting more and more control over uh, the budget process at, at a minimum, notwithstanding the judiciary's role and how it will land on all of this. And so in light of that context, because um, that's a really helpful, I think, macro overview, right? I want to just conclude our conversation by talking a little bit uh, about policy, uh, notwithstanding which president wins and notwithstanding the specific composition of the of the next Congress, not, and also notwithstanding the fact that the Brazilian economy has improved a bit uh, recently, um, it's been a long struggle, uh, right? Brazil is still struggling with high inflation. Uh, there are a slew of socioeconomic indicators. We've seen backsliding, perhaps most prominently in areas like food security. And there's a lot of market concern 
out there. I mean, you know this better than 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 I do, but as someone who watches closely, I hear all the time about almost a lost decade for Brazil. First, because of some of the political paralysis that you've talked about um, around the Rousseff impeachment, the awkward era of the of the Temer presidency, and then we had a lot of global economic um, adverse uh, developments that impacted Brazil. Um, like most of the major economies in the world. And so folks are worried. And there are a lot of questions out there about how this kind of spending and overall fiscal picture, what it means in 2023 and, and 2024. And given that Congress has so much power on this very specific question, I wanted to ask you, in both scenarios, Bolsonaro and, and, and Lula winning, what are some of the first, I'm not asking about the chances that they're approved or, or go through, but what are some of the major economic reforms that will come up for debate that will get attention next year with either candidate, leading candidate uh, as president? Yeah, uh, one step back on this, I, I think... Uh, for the full next four years, in fact, next term, um, it is a transition, you know, uh, a politic, political transition we have still having this um, 80s generation, Lula and Bolsonaro, running for elections. So in 2026, they, the majority of them won't be there. So we have this last period of this, this group of politicians. So we have this political transition, we have uh, this definition, which role Congress will play in the country, which role does judiciary play in the country. Is uh, the executive uh, branch happy with the new role that, that they will play in the next four years? So w what about this arrangement? I think we'll see conflict on that. Um, and we have this economical transition because people are really poor, even though that the last economical numbers in Brazil are better, um, the destruction that COVID did in the country, it is real. We have 30 million people not having one of the meals in a day in Brazil. So 30 million people, it's almost, I don't know, 6% of Argentinian population, 70% of Argentinian population. It's a lot of people. Um, so I think uh, the pressure, this, uh, people, the poor people, the rich people, the guys that have suicides in Brazil, the politicians, the branches, they will put on the Brazil's budgets for the next year, for the next four years, it will be huge. And of course, much more than the, the budget can support or the framework can support. Saying that, I believe that for the first year of this next presidency, we'll have weaker frame, fiscal framework in Brazil. Brazil will spend more. Um, even if the politicians or the country leadership would decide to, to not do it, um, I think the society would put a huge pressure in this direction, spending more money. The demands of the society are huge right now, especially the poor people. You know? So with this energy, with this uh, uh, Russia-Ukraine war, so all things are putting pressure in spending more money. No. Um, and we have this problem. Brazil's um, spent a lot of money, gave a lot of suicides in the last decade. Um, so Tamir started to cut this thing and now, now it's back. So people are, 
accustomed to, to to think. So this is a process to do it again. So yeah, bad and takes time and it takes money basically. So I think this framework for the next year is weaker for Lula or for Bolsonaro. Of course, Lula has this social view more accurate than Bolsonaro. He cares more about this. Um, this is what they, he, he came from. Bolsonaro came from the army, so different backgrounds. Um, Lula will spend more money, basically, I think. So it, this, I, I don't think markets understand this whole thing. You know, markets are looking at the numbers, markets are concerning about the numbers, the fiscal framework. But if the next president, he tries to, I don't know, keep alive the spending cap, for an example, they almost killed spending cap that will be killed in the next year. They will finish this thing. Um, if the next president will try to do it, the country will not support the people, the society will not support the demands are not supporting that. So this would be a big problem. So yeah. Brazil will spend more, Congress will support this thing. Um, the number is a key thing. We have all the math uh, saying 80 billion, 200 billion yearly. So there's no framework or, or the real number that uh, the spending gap or the rules will be breached to, to, to this waiver. But this is the thing. I think this is the reality. Uh, I'm very cold at those moments because you have to look to what the country wants. Even the elite of the, the economical elite of Brazil, they are saying, oh, we have to save money. We have to be fiscal responsible. But everyone, they have their demands to Brazil. They go to Brazil and ask money and ask for a credit line, subside. <laughs> this is not reasonable, right? So I don't think uh, Lula will be, if he get elected, will be very fiscally irresponsible there's a difference here or bolsonaro i don't think i don't believe in this thing for both of them and i uh, i don't think congress would support this you know fiscal responsibility not controlling anything but both of them they will ask this this waiver i think this emergency aid brazil is paying now 600 reals it was very electoral for bolsonaro of course he rose 200 reals in a in aid that was 400, so 600 right now, until the end of this year. But Bolsonaro or Lula, they will have to keep this thing in 600 the next year. So it means like 60 billion uh, reals outside of the spending cap. So reforms, you know, because you have to, to, to get some incremental revenue for that. So tax reform is the one that Lula and Bolsonaro are discussing. In a sense, it, it is the, the proposed that PT supports and Bolsonaro supports, they go in the same direction. It is creating new taxation for dividends because it is kind of shame. Uh, I, I can say that because I have dividends from XP. So this is, this is the thing that I can say. It is kind of a kind of shame that we don't have this taxation in Brazil. Everywhere you have this taxation for dividends, um, for partners. So in Brazil, you, you, in Lithuania, I think you don't have in the whole world. So we have to create this thing and uh, um, cut taxation for the enterprises. You have in Brazil now rich partners and poor enterprises. So this is not healthy for the economical system. I think uh, the next president, Lula or Bolsonaro, they can't correct this thing. Uh, Paulo Guedes is discussing um, in the Bolsonaro side, in the PT side, we're 
listening to this, this uh, Lula's advisor discussing with the, the congressman that they have this proposal in the lower house, this PEC uh, 45. So it's a good reform. Uh, transition in 10 years, very slow, but good. I used to say, Nick, uh, working in Congress when I was there, if Brazil makes all the reforms to be valid uh, to start in 20 years, so in 20 years we would have the perfect country, you know, because the politicians never do reforms for themselves, they do for the next, you know. So, yeah, this transition is <laughs> not that bad. Yeah. This yeah. Is just, doesn't hurt that much if in 10 years we have a new, the whole new system of taxation in Brazil, which brings productivity, which brings new things for the economy. So, they have to work on revenue. Uh, I think they will work much more the reforms for the next years, coming years, uh, are going in a direction of making new revenues, new taxation, or making this thing more intelligent, but not in cutting expenditure. I, I don't think the country supports that. Uh, it, it is not there. We, we to finish this, this answer, we saw this happening live in 2020. In 2019, we, we are polling every month in Brazil since 2018. We used to ask about privatization, about the, 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 the economical agenda, in a sense. And uh, the answers at this time, the, the wind in the country was in favor of privatization, in favor of the pension reform, was getting almost 70% of support in the society in Brazil. It was madness. Um, and then we saw this crossing. People were against, and then in 2018 and 19, people were in favor. So we saw the numbers changing. But we saw the numbers changing again in 2020. Uh, people look at the COVID and uh, everyone, the rich, the poor, medium, they were looking at Brazilian requesting answers, you know, waiting for answers that Brazilian, which means Brazil is sending money and making new programs and credit lines and all that things. So it takes time to, to, to this detox is, is harder than it should be, but it is hard. Absolutely. Uh, I think that the public spending conversation changed in a lot of countries during the, the initial COVID uh, response and, and that has consequences. So it sounds like um, no matter who wins the presidential election, the extension of the Auxiliary Brazil program, the low-income cash transfer, um, I'm sorry, the cash transfer program, the low-income Brazilians, I believe it reaches about 18 or 19 million Brazilians in, in, in total families, in yeah. total, not, not, not no. so many more 20, than 20 million like families. 20, 25, 20, 25. 20, 20, yeah. It's been expanded. They're to putting, it. yes, yeah. they're putting more people in, in this program. So uh, the extension of that, which is due to expire, will be one of the first coming um, congressional debates, as will be what to do with the spending cap law does it go away completely does it allow for more flexibility and then given that there are objective fiscal realities out there for brazil there will be a push to compensate this appetite for more expenditure as you very articulately laid out how to how to increase revenues which will which will generate a tax conversation and that those kind of will shape the contours of the economic policy discussion in congress and in the short term, which I think is extremely helpful uh, context uh, context for our for our listeners, um, and I look forward to uh, welcoming you back when Congress is actually debating all of these issues, and we can 
we can take stock of what's going on, what's going on then, Richard. It was really a pleasure to have you today. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, we we can make this 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 list, and uh, everyone to come here. Yeah, this is well. This is not. This is working. This is not working. This is being approved. This is not. And uh, I can tell you the tricks that they they do inside this this bills <laughs> because yeah, this is we have a lot of tricks. And uh, yeah. congressmen in Brazil, they are very very creative, you know. So you can count on me. It has been a pleasure talking with you and um, anytime anytime you need uh, I'm here it's a pleasure to, to, to record this podcast for Wilson The Brazil Institute podcast is produced and edited by Oscar Cruz To learn more visit our website www.wilsoncenter.org slash Brazil Until next time thanks for listening Thank you.